You see, Satan is a defeated foe. We just came through the Passion Week. We just came through celebrating Good Friday, talking about the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus. And then last Sunday we had a wonderful resurrection celebration, talking about the meaning of the resurrection and all that. And I purposely stayed away from talking about the devil because he's not my favorite subject. But, you know, he is the elephant sometimes in the room, and you can't ignore him either. We have to be aware of his devices so we can deal with him. But the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, one thing it does do for us is it, it, it tells us that he's defeated. Satan is a defeated foe. There was a time, you know, when Satan was uh, important, and and he was he had a he had a big uh, uh, ministry in in God's uh, heaven. He was the worship leader there. He was a, an art one of the archangels. He was he was a great angel, and he had a lot of power. And uh, then he messed up. <clears throat> you know the story, how he got. Uh, drop kicked over the goalpost of heaven. He got kicked out. Jesus said he was there when it happened. And he saw Satan, you know, cast down like a lightning bolt striking the earth. That's how quick God got rid of him and, and put him on the earth. Well, he, you know, he, he, he's angry. And he didn't like, he didn't like his demotion. He hates God, and he hates man. He hates man because God basically uh, uh, put man in the position that Lucifer was coveting. He said, I'm going to be like God. And God says, no, you're not going to be like me. I'm going to make a man, and that man is going to be like me. And so we have been given the position that Satan covets. He wants to be like God, but he'll never be like God. He wants to rule as God. He'll never do that. He, he never will. He's not, he's not uh, that's not in the plan of God for his life. His, God's plan for him, his destiny, is to, be, is to be dropped into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Matter of fact, the Bible says God created hell for him. God made, God made Lucifer a special home. And it's a place of eternal torment. And that's where he's headed. And uh, he, you know, he, he knows that God's planning that. And he knows he's only got a limited amount of time. But he is, he is so angry that, he's gonna, he, that he kills, he steals, he destroys. He messes up everywhere he can. He's a bad dude. It, it blows my mind to, that, that, there are, that there are thousands upon thousands of people alive on the earth today that worship him. How deceived can you get? But they are, they are heavily deceived. And uh, there, are, there are people in high places, places of authority, politicians, some of the world's richest people are Satan worshipers. And uh, that's not conspiracy talk. That's, that's provable. 
there's factual evidence to that. You can hear it coming right out of their own mouths that they worship Satan. Senator Chuck Schumann. I listened to a speech that he was giving one place. And I heard him say it right out of his own mouth. If this makes me a Satan worshiper, then I'm a Satan worshiper. And then he laughed. And the people that he's talking to all laughed. They don't know how serious that is. And, uh, and we pray for them that they will not that they will not continue in that deception. Amen? Amen? Can you imagine if one of our senators was a Satan worshiper? We'd be doing something about that, wouldn't we? But to my knowledge, both of our, both of our senators from the state of Florida are, are Christians. God-loving, God-fearing, Jesus-honoring Christians. I don't always agree with their, with their policies, but they are at least... They are at least not Satan worshipers. Lord, help us. No wonder people are leaving the state of New York and moving to Florida. By the tens of thousands, people. I don't know if you've noticed the traffic lately. We don't have a traffic rush hour anymore. It's just that way all the time. And uh, <clears throat> we were out early. I was out going to the airport about four o'clock one morning, and, and there was heavy traffic on, on 95. Four o'clock in the morning. I thought, well, it's all those Yankees. <laughs> Amen. Well, are you in Genesis 3 yet? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we, have, we have the fall of Adam and Eve, the sin, the fall. And then God's dealing with them. God's basically called them on the carpet. All the players involved, the serpent, the uh, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and the serpent. And he's dealing with them. And he's meeting out punishments. And in verse 19, he's, he, he pronounces a curse upon man. He said in Genesis 3:19, You were made from dust... And to dust you will return. That's not the whole verse, but you know, I'll read the whole verse. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So the, the, the curse of Adam was that he's going to, he's going to experience the, the death of his own body. His body's going to... Uh, uh, basically dissolve into the essential elements from which it was made. But he pronounced a curse on Satan as well. In Genesis 3.14, he said this to Satan. And he's speaking to the serpent, but we know that the serpent represents Satan. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now you put these two verses together. Adam, you're going to return to dust. Satan, you're going to eat dust. 
So basically, man's curse was to be eaten by Satan. Satan's curse was to have only, only the, the leftovers of man to eat, really, basically. You're, you're going to become a, 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 a dust eater. And by the way, man, you're dust. And they became pitted together against each other. Right there in the garden, God, part of the curse of sin, was that Satan would be pitted against us and we would be pitted against Satan. It's not a love feast, folks. It's, it's, a, it's an adversarial relationship that began there in the Garden of Eden. Amen. But it has an ending. And I want you to see that. It's also here in chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity, and he's talking to the, the serpent, which, who represents Satan. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God, not only does he, he speak of this curse, this relationship, but he says, there, here, here's how it's going to be culminated. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. The seed of the woman, who by the way is Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say seeds, it says seed. The seed of the woman will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. That is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus. Everybody, everybody knows and, and accepts that Genesis 3.15 is the first biblical prophecy of, of uh, uh, Jesus dying on the cross. What's he saying here? He's saying that adversarial relationship where, you and the, where, where the devil and the man go at each other and struggle against each other, you know, all, all these ages, you know, this enmity that exists, your, your enemies, you know, you're just born enemies. Satan's going to eat you up, and you're going you're gonna to choke him because, you know, you're just dust. He's not going to ever be satisfied because there's no nourishment left in you. There's nothing in you. He's going to have to eat you, but there's nothing in you that's going to satisfy him. He's going to be, he's, you talk about a demotion. He's not even going to be able to walk on his hind legs anymore. He's going to have to slither on the ground. And, and uh, you know, you're going to have this, you're going to have this war. And this war is going to go on for generations to generations to generations until the seed of the woman appears. Why is it the seed of the woman? Because she, he was not born of a man. Right? He was only born of a woman. And the Holy Ghost is the one that impregnated her. So it's, it's, really, it's really God's offspring. So it's, it's referring to Jesus. And Jesus goes to the cross... And in that act of him dying on the cross, getting his heel bruised, he's crushing your head. Now, if you look at a serpent, it eats with its mouth. Its mouth is in its head. It eats with its mouth. Its fangs are also in its mouth. And if you crush the mouth of a serpent, you kill it. If you crush the head of the serpent, you render it where it cannot eat and it cannot bite you and poison you. And so when, when the Messiah comes 
Genesis 3.15, when the Messiah comes, he's going to smash your head, devil. And he'll no longer be a dust eater. And he'll no longer, his fangs will no longer be able to poison those who put their trust in the cross of Jesus. Amen. The curse is broken. Hallelujah. The curse is broken. Now, that, if that's all the scripture we had for that, uh, you know, it'd be enough. Can you say praise God? Praise. But you see, the, the, the Jesus, when Jesus destroyed Satan by smashing his head, he destroyed Satan's authority against the believer. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. And I'm reading, you know, I'm reading from the King James because I've got this brand new giant print King James Bible up here. And it just, boy, these, these words just jump out at you. Woo! 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is foc it focuses us on the, you know, the, the resurrection, right? The rapture. But I want you to look at verse 57. That tells you right there it's a long chapter. But we won't read the whole chapter. We'll just read one verse. I'm trying to talk over this mint. I mean, this cough drop. So if it comes out at you, don't worry. <laughs> Praise God. But it is helping. Thank you, Sandy. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory over what? Our victory over whom? Our victory over sin and death and the devil. Our victory over sin, death, and the devil comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then he says, but thanks be unto God, we have victory. Victory over death, over the grave, and over the devil. We, we, have, we have, present tense, we have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he crushed, he crushed the, the, uh, the perpetrator of what ails us. He took our sins away, and He bore our death. Amen? So at the cross, our victory was wrought. Our victory was won at the cross. David also broke, you know, uh, uh, Jim Maloney's brother-in-law. He wrote a book one time. I, I've read the book, but I, I kept the book in my library because I love the title. It says, 
uh, blood-bought or hell-wrought. Blood-bought or hell-wrought. A lot of people think Jesus had to go down into hell and suffer in the flames. He had to literally go to, he had to literally go to the lake of fire or Hades and suffer in the flames and <clears throat> wrestle the devils, the demons down there, and uh, beat them off and get the keys away from them and and, uh, and tear the gates off of, the, of hell and come out of there victorious. And that's, that, that's, what, that's what won our salvation. But the Bible teaches that our salvation is purchased by the blood of Jesus. His blood never went to hell. His blood was shed right there on Golgotha's mountain. Amen? And the Bible says that the angels of God collected that blood, and it's now in heaven. The blood of Jesus never saw hell. The body of Jesus never saw hell. So the only thing that went down into the earth was the spirit of Jesus. And before Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus put his spirit into the care of God the Father before he ever gave it up on the cross. So there is, there is no trail. There's no paper trail, folks, showing Jesus in the flames. The Bible does say he went down into the lower parts of the earth and he preached to captivity. And he led captivity captive. Captivity happened to be the, uh, the Old Testament saints that were cared for in a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus died and was, his body was buried, Jesus, Jesus went down into paradise and he preached to those in paradise, I'm the one you have been waiting for. I'm the one you have trusted in all these years. I'm the one that was spoken of in Genesis 3.15. I'm the one that was spoken of in Isaiah 53. I am the Messiah. And they all believed on him. Probably more people got saved down there that day, born again down there that day, than ever, ever, ever in history. Amen? Abraham, from, from you know, Abraham, all, of, all the patriarchs, all of, all of Noah, all of them that died in faith, they all saw Jesus, they all received Jesus, and then Jesus says, come on, I'm going to, the, I'm going to heaven, and I'm taking you with me. You're the first fruits. And that was the first resurrection. See, there's already been a resurrection. Matter of fact, the Bible says when Jesus rose from the dead, there were graves opened there in Jerusalem, and dead people were seen walking around and testifying. So some of them, you know, they, they hung around long enough to go visit their relatives and testify. And don't, can't you imagine... Grandpa shows up at the door, <clears throat> and he says, you remember that Messiah that I kept telling you all about? Yeah, yeah. Well, he came down into paradise, and he's led us out of paradise, and I'm on, my, I'm on my way to heaven right now. Just thought I'd stop by and testify. You know, somebody ought to testify. You know, it's pretty good when the dead come back to life and testify. And then they went on to heaven. And, and when Jesus went to heaven, he didn't go by himself. He took, he, took a, 
He, he walks into heaven, Abraham. David, the, all those guys are, are marching in behind him. What a parade. But there was another parade. And that parade <laughs> has to do with the devil. Let's see. Look in Colossians 2. Here, here's another parade. The resurrection of Jesus included a parade of his defeated foe. Colossians 2, let's start with 12. Colossians 2, 12. He's talking about our experience here. Our, our experience. Colossians 2, 12, he says that we were buried with him in baptism. See, our baptism corresponds with his burial. He was buried in the tomb. We're buried with him in baptism. So in, in a sense, we, when we identify with Jesus, we die. Our old man dies. Right? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. And so we know, we know that to be in Christ is to be dead from our old life. Dead in the sense of separated. We're separated from our old life. We're also separated from our sins. Amen? Paul talks about it a lot in Romans. He that is in Christ is dead to sin. And so he sins no more. See, our, our, our life of sin passed away when we were buried with Jesus in baptism. When we identify, all that means is we identified with Jesus. Everything Jesus did, we, we accept that he did for us. And so he says, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. How many of you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? That's key to salvation. If you don't believe that, you can't be saved. Amen? Amen. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Amen? Amen. And, and when, you, when you lifted your hand and say, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, uh, you, you qualify for salvation. Thank you. you do. You qualify. Uh, that's, that's essential. Okay. You being dead, verse 13, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he now quickened together with Jesus. That quickened means made alive. He's made you alive with Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, past tense. When you trust in Jesus, you're buried with him and raised with him. And you are, you are made alive. You, all your trespasses are forgiven. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, those handwriting of ordinances that were written against us, those were the accusations that the devil used when he came after us. He would come after you and he'd say, 
oh, there's sin in your life. Therefore, I have legal right to come into your life and mess with you. That handwriting of ordinances was like an arrest warrant in the hands of the devil. And the devil would use our sins as an open, open opportunity to attack you and to attack everything in your life. But that handwriting of an ordinances or that arrest warrant was nailed to the cross of Jesus. Guess what? Satan no longer has a legal right. He no longer has any legal right to afflict you, to uh, attack you, or to uh, uh, have his way in any area of your life. He's been stripped of that, of that authority. See, the devil ain't what he used to be. Say it with me. The devil ain't what he used to be. <laughs> yeah. you, need, you need to remember that the next time you are confronted by him or any of his demons. You need, to, you need to announce to them, you're not what you used to be. You don't have the power and authority in my life you used to have when I had sin in my life. But now that I'm washed in the blood, now that I'm born again, now that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, you're an outlaw and you get out of here. I don't even recognize your authority in my life anymore. You have none. Because I died with Christ, I was buried with Christ, and I have been raised with Christ. Amen. Look at verse 15. After Jesus did this, here's the parade I want to talk to you about. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. Triumphing over them in it. Now that phrase is chock full of significance. Having spoiled principalities and powers. By spoiled, it means rendered them powerless. In other words, he defeated them. Principalities and powers. Who's that? Those are the minions of Satan. Those are the people who work for Satan. Demons, fallen angels, and human beings. Anyone that works under Satan's dominion is, is uh, the powers, the principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. All those people that, that, uh, that we wrestle against in this, in this realm. The Satan worshipers. The ungodly. Satan himself and all of his, all of his uh, little helpers. Amen? He spoiled them. That means he, he looted them. He stripped them of all of their possessions. He stripped them of all of their power and all of their authority. Satan has no legitimate power. His head's been smashed under the heel of Jesus Christ. And he's been spoiled. Making a, making a, he made a show of them openly. Now that phrase, show of them openly, uh, refers to a Roman tradition. When, when the Romans would go out to war, their emperor, whoever that might be, the Caesar, the emperor, stayed home. And he'd send his generals, General Titus, General Diocletian, General uh, Rufus, whoever, 
it sent out his generals and the army, the Roman army, and they would go out to war and they would, they would conquer in the name of Caesar. They would conquer and take possession of the whole land where they, where they conquered. And they would immediately go into the treasuries of, of that, that, that country and they would strip it of all this gold and silver and pile it into wagons. And they would grab the king, the conquered king, the leaders, the government officials of that country, and they would strip them naked. And they would tie them together behind these gold wagons. And they would haul them back to Rome. And they would make an open show. Caesar would get in his little outdoor amphitheater throne type thing. And they would bring in the defeated foe, parading them through the streets of Rome, naked and embarrassed and totally humiliated, former kings, former rulers. Can you imagine the humiliation? And all of their wealth, all their loot that they could grab hold of quickly, doesn't mention they own, you know, Rome now owns the country, the land, the crops, the people everything they took everything but they would bring these treasures into rome and they would openly parade their defeated foe before their emperor and all of rome would cheer and roar and the generals would receive all kinds of rewards probably half the cash they brought home that was part of their reward you know the Bible says here, that's exactly what Jesus did. When he rose from the dead, he made an open show of Satan's defeat. All the universe knows about it. They were all witnesses of it. And Jesus paraded his defeated foe in front of all of heaven's Host. Now, somewhere before that or after that or maybe in the same parade, he brings in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the, all the, patri all the saints of the Old Testament. I'd like to think they were part of that parade. I know the Bible doesn't say it, but we know that Jesus he took them to heaven, and we know that he paraded Satan. The defeated foe. I don't think he took him to heaven, but I think somewhere in that process there was this parade that the whole universe witnessed. And there's Satan, old Lucifer. Amen? And there's a scripture in Isaiah that talks about uh, how when the people saw him, they said, is this the one that troubled the nations? Is this the, is this the one that we were afraid of? Look at him now. You see, he was brought low. This, this battle that we imagine in our minds between God and the devil is not an equal fight. It's an almighty God, a absolutely, totally victorious Jesus Christ ruling in his kingdom that is vast, 
and 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 Satan and his minions are like are like uh, guerrilla fighters hiding in the caves and the swamps and trying to trying to cause trouble but they're really peripheral type entities that God easily can control You say, well, Pastor, isn't he the prince of the power of the air? He, he is the prince of the power of Earth's atmosphere or this realm. He, he, still, he still has control in the lives of people who are rebelling against God. The sinners, like you and me, before we came to Christ. He still, he still exercises authority because they give him that authority. Because of their rebellion... It's like Robin Hood, a bad Robin Hood, out in the Sherwood Forest, and all the other outlaws join themselves to him and submit themselves to him. They're all outlaws. They've all had to give up everything because they're on the run. They're all, they're all in rebellion against authority, and they come to, they come to Lucifer for protection. And he said, well, I'll give you protection, but... You're going to have to treat me as the Godfather, you know. And you're going to have to do everything, you know, you're going to have to serve me or I'll destroy you. They don't love each other. And they don't get along with each other. I've actually seen a demon-possessed person that had more than one demon in them and the two demons got in an argument. And they started fighting each other inside this person's body. And that person's really suffered. That, you know, psychiatrists called him a schizophrenic. But he, had, he was more than a schizophrenic. He had a couple of demons in him that didn't like each other. And they, they were willing to kill him rather than give him up. Have you heard about Jesus? You know, when he'd tell a demon to come out of somebody, that demon would tear them. That demon would rip them apart. And, and then they would be lying on the ground as though they were dead. And then Jesus would have to go raise them up. But the demon would rather kill you than let go of you. But he has no authority against a believer. So whenever we get there, who's in charge? We're in charge. That's how I can cast demons out of demon-possessed people. Is because, you know, if they want, if they want deliverance, if they want help, the, the, the demon has no authority to be there. And we just tell him, get out. You've been evicted. Remember the parade? Remember the parade when Jesus rose from the dead? Hey, devil, remember the parade? Remember how you were paraded before all of creation as a defeated foe? Get out, you defeated foe. Get out now in Jesus' name. They have to go. And there's only one exception. They will not go as long as the, their host wants them there. You can't, you know, it's hard to cast the devil out of somebody who don't want to be delivered. But if they want to be delivered, the devil can't hold them. Remember the man, that man with the legion of demons in him. 
He had over 2,000 demons in him, and he still came to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet and asked for help. 2,000 demons couldn't keep him from coming to Jesus. Well, you, if, somebody wants to, if somebody wants Jesus, and they choose Jesus, and they want help, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Even if he has 2,000 demons. It shows you how little power they really have. We don't live in fear of the devil. He lives in fear of us. He's terrified of any believer who gets a hold of this message. He doesn't want you to hear it, and he doesn't want you to believe it. He loves it when you give him praise, when you give him honor. Y'all pray for me, the devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. I've heard those words more than once. Y'all pray for me. The devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. Well, what do you do when somebody says that? You, you say, I will not. I will not bless his name. His, his name is not holy. His name is unholy. He, he is unworthy of praise. He's unworthy of giving any honor to. In the name of Jesus, and I'll pray for you to be delivered from him, but not going to bless his name. Say, Pastor, you should just let that slide. They don't know what they're talking about. No, you can't let things like that slide because it, that's a that gives them opportunity to take over their life. There are whole churches that have, have the wrong relationship with the devil. They have the wrong attitude about the devil, and the devil just runs amok in those churches and does what he wants to because they give him more power than he really has. The only power the devil can get is the power you give him. And so don't praise him. And don't, don't, uh, uh, don't give him credit for things that, are, that he has nothing to do with. A lot of what's wrong in your life is your own fault. So don't blame it on the devil. Confess your sins. Confess your faults to the Lord. And he'll not only forgive you, he'll heal you. Leave the devil out of it. Don't give him praise. He's defeated. Amen? The believers, you've got to relate properly to the devil as his victor. You have victory over him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I don't know how many times I've read this in church. Hmm. Oh, by the way, if... Uh, if the Roman general is the conqueror. What does that make the emperor? If the Roman general is the conqueror, what does it make the Caesar, the ruler? Makes him more than a conqueror. He didn't go to war. He just sent his generals. You see, we didn't go to war. We weren't there. We were not at the cross 2,000 years ago. I've never been to the Holy Land. I'd like to go sometime, but I've never been to the Holy Land. Never been on Golgotha's Hill. Never been there. And what happened there was 2,000 years ago. That whole area is covered under 40 feet of volcanic ash and silt and everything else. They have to dig down to get to those ruins. And a lot of what's on the tour is not real. I think there's four or five places where Jesus was supposedly born. 
Yeah. And they've got it, you know, they, one of them, they've got a Catholic church built over it. One of them, they've got some other kind of church built over it, you know, and you've got to go into the church to get to the manger. It's for those gullible tourists from America, you know, that'll believe anything and pay for anything. But, uh, but literally, uh, the archaeologists have to dig down 40 feet. Like they, they, found, they found the pool of Siloam, but they had to dig it out. It wasn't just sitting there with a name tag on it, pool of Siloam. 2,000 years will cover up a lot of stuff. And, you know, that's why archaeology is important. Because every time they discover something, it proves the scriptures. <laughs> they could have saved themselves a lot of effort and money if they just believed the scriptures. But every time they discover something, it proves the scriptures. Romans 8 says that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made us to be more than conquerors. You see, he was our general who we sent out to battle, who conquered the enemy and brought in the parade of the enemy defeated before us. And he's presented, he's presented the defeated foe before us and made us to be more than conquerors. We are now more than conquerors. Romans 8, Romans 8, 35, I think. And we are now more than conquerors through him that loved us. Can you say amen? Well, now look at Ephesians 1. <laughs> and I'm going to read uh, several verses here. I'm going to go into chapter 2 because that I need, we need to bring this to a conclusion, right? <coughs> Paul is talking about how he's praying for the Ephesians, the Christians. And he says he does this every day. And, uh, and we're going to jump right into the middle of the prayer uh, verse 18, Ephesians 1, 18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, I talked about this last Sunday that exceeding great power of the resurrection that comes toward you consistently, constantly, never-ending, never-broken. A never-ending, never-interrupted flow of resurrection power coming at you. It's coming at you, kid. What's coming at me? The power of the resurrection constantly flowing in me. When he, when he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, everybody say far above, far above. and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come, now and forever, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, in case you don't know. So his feet is part of his body. And we're the body. 
So where's all of his enemies? They're under his feet. His enemies are my enemies. His enemies are under his feet. I am his feet. I'm his body. You're his body. So you've got to relate properly to these things. You've got to have a right relationship with these things. Jesus is the head. We're the body. All other powers are beneath our feet. His body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now look at verse 1. You has he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You see, where does he put the prince of the power of the air? Where does he put Satan? He puts Satan in our past. Isn't that where he puts him? Where in time past, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh. He's still at work, but not in you, in the children of disobedience. How important is it to obey God? How important is it? It's what separates you from Satan. He still works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle. Among whom we also had. Everybody say had. Not anymore. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Look at verse 4. But God. Now, if we were over at R.J. Washington's church, I'd have to stop for about 20 minutes while y'all swung from the chandeliers. But God. What separated me from Satan's powers? God did. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins 2,000 years ago, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now, where are we positioned in God's hierarchy? Where are we? We're in Christ at the right hand of the Father. We're in a place of authority. We're sitting in the seat of power. And every other power and every other dominion is beneath our feet. We're right in the place where Lucifer wanted to exalt himself to. But see, you can't exalt yourself to that place. You have to humble yourself to the Lord Jesus. He will exalt you there. You see how that worked? <clears throat> you, when, 
When you received the Lord Jesus, you died and were separated from your old lifestyle, from your old friends, from your old ways, from all those things that gave Satan legal authority to afflict your life. You, you were separated and cut off from that. And you were raised up in newness of life and made to sit together with Jesus in a place of authority. So if you're going to relate correctly to Satan, it's going to be from a place of high authority. And you're going to have to look down because he's under your feet. Now, one more scripture, Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19. <clears throat> yeah, that's so good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up too. I don't want to misquote it. And we'll finish with this one. Luke 10, 19. Uh, Got to read 18. Sorry, Don. <clears throat> this is when the 70 returned from casting out devils, healing the sick and raising the dead. Remember, Jesus sent them out and said, In my name, go in my name, in my authority, go in my authority, cast out devils, heal the sick, Raise the dead. So they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Lord, even the devils are subject to us in thy name, through thy name. Jesus said, I was there. that's nothing. <laughs> he said, I was there. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, we've been taught to believe that that was when he got kicked out of heaven. But this word heaven here is not the heaven where God lives. It's the, it's the atmosphere where we live. What Jesus was saying, while you were out there praying for the sick, casting out devils in my name, I saw Satan, I saw him being cast down. In other words, everywhere you went, you were dethroning Satan. Everywhere you went, you were dis displacing Satan. Every time you cast the devil out of somebody, you kick Satan's butt. Pardon my English. Well, that's... Well, if it was English, I'd say arse, right? Y'all yeah. yeah. understand butt? B-U-T-T? -T. You kick somebody's butt, you're not doing them a favor. That, that, is, that is an idiom that actually means you whooped them. He said, I was watching. You see, Jesus sent them out, and he's watching. And he said, every time you use the authority I gave you, you defeated Satan. I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. You brought him down. Even though he's the prince of the power of the air, every time you came at him, you brought him down. 
You, you defeated him. See, we need to get in the habit of defeating Satan. Every time we encounter him or any of his acts, we need to cast them out, cast them down. Jesus, Acts 10, 38, said he went about everywhere doing good, healing all the oppressed of the devil. There's a little key there. Who is the, who's behind oppression? The devil. Who's behind all this stuff? Satan. He said Jesus went out everywhere, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, doing good because God was with him. The Great Commission says, Go into all the world, and lo, I am with you, always, even unto the ends of the world. Amen? And you know what's going to happen? We're going to do the same thing the 70 did. We're going, to, we're, we're going to come home. We're going to come home and have our meetings. And our meetings are going to be like, wow, did you see what happened? Whoa, boy, let me tell you what happened over here. We, we, we kicked the devil out here. We kicked the devil out there. We defeated the devil over here. I mean, the devil can't win when we're in town. Now, I know that Lucifer himself probably has never been to your house, never been to you. You're not important enough for him. He's probably in Washington, D.C. right now. Or the Ukraine. or some, He's somewhere. He's probably visiting with George Soros or, you know, one of those types. Uh, you know, he, we, he's too proud to hang around me and you. So he sends his little, he sends his little imps. Sends his little demons. If you've confronted the devil at all, it's probably in that form. He's not God. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not all-knowing. He probably doesn't even know your address. He'd have to look you up on Google. He owns Google, you know. And, and <laughs> sorry. But when you step onto the scene... The authority that sits at the right hand of God is represented. When you step onto the scene, right hand of God power is present. Don't, you don't have to call Pastor Ron. You don't have to wait until Benny Hinn comes to town. As I believe, you don't have to be a preacher, a licensed preacher. You don't have to have seminary degree you don't you don't have to have any of that all you have to have is a born again experience and you've got more power than the devil has because he has no legitimate power say pastor why are you telling us this we know this yeah well i've listened to you talk and sometimes the words that come out of your mouth betray this. They, here's what's happened. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who you are. You've forgotten you're the head of that house. You're the head over that marriage. You're the authority. You're the representative of God that is in that house. And as a believer, you have the right to throw the devil out. But you don't go to church, so you forget. You forget who you are. 
you forget what power you have. Or people go to church on Sunday, they hear a great sermon, and then uh, you know on Monday they forget who they are. And you know, you know, I can't hold everybody's hand and walk them through it every time. But we have got to get to the place, church, where we act like people in authority, because we are. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Say thank you, Pastor, for that good word. Thank you, Amen. <laughs>